Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Despite growing support for reforms to existing research evaluation approaches, changes in practice are slow and incremental. This is in part due to the complex nature of the task, which will require coordinated action from multiple stakeholders. In this two-part podcast, we will first discuss the current challenges to the research assessment system and the initiatives behind the call for change. We will then explore the tools and frameworks available to implement these changes and the role of the various stakeholders involved. To lead on this discussion today, I am joined by a panel of experts on the topic of research assessment and open science. Dr. Elizabeth Gad is a research policy manager at Loughborough University with an extensive research background in scholarly communication and open research. She chairs the INOM Research Evaluation Group. We also have with us Dr. Noemi Obertborn, an early career researcher who is currently undertaking postdoctoral research at Hasselt University and Amsterdam UMC, where she pursues her PhD work exploring different stakeholders' perspectives on the impact that research assessments have on research practices and integrity. Finally, we are joined by Dr. Dasapta Erwin Arwan, an assistant professor in hydrogeology at the Institute Technology Bandung. He is actively participating in promoting the open science movement and the importance of science communications to Indonesia's research ecosystem. Thank you all for joining me today for this podcast on research evaluation. It, it's a real pleasure to have you all here and discuss this topic, which is fair to say has raised a few debates over the years. Indeed, there is a general understanding that the current research assessment processes are not fit for the purpose and, and may in fact um, hinder the research landscape and a researcher's career progression. Starting with you, Lizzie, could you explain what are the main issues with the current research assessment practices? Yes, thank you, Florence, and thank you for inviting me to speak today. There's a lot. How long have we got? <laughs> I, I, th I think there are four kind of main issues, really, and I've, I've written about this, uh, and they're all kind of interlinked issues. And I think the first issue that we have with, with research assessment is the, what I call the construction problem. So the design of our evaluation approaches is often really poor. So we've got journal impact factors and they take the mean of a skewed data set. You should never take the mean of a skewed data set. So they're automatically kind of unhelpful indicators. University rankings, they use composite indicators without any justification for the various weightings of the different elements of that, that indicator. They use sloppy surveys that wouldn't pass peer review. You know, there's all these sorts of construction issues with our evaluation approaches. So so from, from step one, um, that they are poor and unhelpful data sources that they uh, that are used are heavily biased towards the global north etc etc so there's construction then the second issue for me is the validity problem so the, the the approach that's used is poor yes it's constructed poorly but it's then used as a poor proxy for the dimension that it's claiming to represent so a journal's sightedness and its impact factor is not a valid indicator of the quality of an individual article within that journal or of an individual researcher. So the validity is wrong. The rankings are largely based on research data and they seek to identify the top 
universities in the world. Well, top at what? What if you're a teaching university? You know, they're not not they're not uh, assessing which are the best teaching universities because they don't really assess teaching quality. So there's a validity problem. The third issue is around application. So it wouldn't really matter having these poor evaluation approaches if they were just kind of back page curiosities in the research press. But of course, the problem is that they are then applied to individual researchers and to universities, etc., to allocate funding, to give out jobs. And in the case of global rankings now, <laughs> we've just had the announcement in the UK that they're going to be used to provide people with no questions asked visas to the UK. So there's poor application of these measures. And then that leads to what the fourth problem with our current research assessment practices, to my mind, which is the impact problem, which is essentially the downstream effects of all of those issues, construction, validity and application, on the diversity of our research communities, the favouring of the global north, the allocation of funds to already favoured people or entities rather than the best person for the job, etc, etc. So there's a lot of issues and I think often they're not kind of teased out in any systematic way, but I think it's helpful too because people can perhaps knock down one of these arguments, oh well we know the construction is is poor but they're generally, you know, they're the best we've got. But, but it's not just the construction that's the problem. It's then the validity, the application, the impact of those, those measures that we need to kind of fully understand. What about you, Noemi? What I can add is what I heard from the perspective of researchers uh, through my research. I did interviews and focus group with researchers to understand what are the problem of research assessments. And what I found was a bit less uh, defined, but I found issues, for example, in the fact that we only assess uh, the outputs of research. So there's almost no attention given to how the research is conducted, to any of the activities that are part of researchers' everyday life, but are not part of the outputs of their research. Uh, that's completely left out of uh, research assessment. Uh, another problem that I found was that, well, to be successful in their careers, then researchers face this kind of tension where they uh, feel that they have to respond to these indicators which are which have the construction problems, which are not necessarily valid, uh, which have issues of application like Lizzie mentioned. But in responding to these indicators, researchers feel that they undermine the quality of their research and that they're not able to perform research with the highest uh, research integrity. Uh, and finally, uh, Lizzie already mentioned that there's issues of uh, diversity. Well, this is a problem that really came up uh, quite often in my work, where current research assessments are very uniform. So they expect everyone to fit the same profile, to have a very similar CV. And this is the CV of a successful researcher. There's a profile for a successful PI, and there's no diversity in that. So you have to publish a lot, you have to get a lot of funding, you have to be a leader, but there's no uh, real place for team members, uh, for diversity of skills, for diversity of uh, even past careers, uh, past experience, and etc. So we end up, it's a bit like trying to have a, a football team, and the only people that you hire are the strikers. So we really have a problem in the way that careers are being uh, organized in science. Florence, can we come back on that? Because I think Nomi makes some really, really good points there. And I, I read something yesterday in the press around, it's around the Chinese universities now starting to pull out of the university rankings. And a Chinese colleague described it as our current research assessment practices as cutting the feet to fit the shoe. 
<laughs> and I thought, that's exactly what's going on here. Cutting our, we're cutting our feet to fit the shoes rather than cutting our shoes to fit the feet. So we're not kind of measuring by mission, not by all the sorts of things that we value, as Naomi's well articulated there, but you know, around this kind of poor standard and then seeing, you know, hacking away at our research careers and our research creativity and our researchers' uh, diversity to kind of fit this very poor, limited shoe that we've designed, or that was designed about 100 years ago, you know, and we're still using. And what is the situation in Indonesia, the SAPTA? So as we speak right now, I am following a webinar held by our Ministry of Education saying that all of the indicators of the universities in Indonesia should follow or should agree with the criteria that has been used by most of the major university ranking in the world, right? Like, such as uh, QS or Times Higher Education ranking. So uh, our ministry has mentioned that statement and it has been going on maybe, maybe more than five years now. I can say it's 10 years right now. Overall, the criteria of the advanced university in Indonesia are not based on the principle of science. So the principle of science is not very much in front of the conversations. Most of the conversation will be and the, the criteria or the output criteria that has been used by the, the university ranking. So I think that would just destroy the critical thinking and also the value of science itself because the conversation are not really on on the science, <laughs> but only on the on the end products right? such as uh, international uh, papers published in international journals in reputable journals. Another point is since Indonesia is not uh, an English-speaking country. Although English education has been given to many of the children since early age, but we are not English-speaking country. So it's really strange if those papers uh, is separated based on the language. So, for instance, if I wrote, if I write my my research uh, in Indonesia it will be given a lower score than if I write papers in English, which is uh, all of those uh, reputable journals uh, are asking the authors to write in English, right? So Those are all very, very interesting points. And I love those analogies that I am sure will help our audience understand the extent of the problem. But despite these issues, there seems to be a momentum for change. In 2021, the European Commission published its scoping report towards the reform of the research assessment system. That same year, the UNESCO recommendation on open science was adopted by its General Council, and soon afterwards, the Paris Call on Research Assessment advocated for an assessment system where research proposals and, and researchers are evaluated on the basis of their intrinsic merits and, and impact, rather than on the number of publications and where they are published. So, Noemi, would you be able to elaborate on those initiatives that are behind this momentum for change and what those initiatives promote? So, I think 
I think we're seeing now that in the past 10 years, I would say 10 years, it's more than that, but let's say from the start of when Dora came about and started obtaining signatures for, for the Dora statement, we've seen more and more awareness of the imperfection, uh, the big problems behind research assessment and how we really need to change these. So different countries, different research institutions uh, adopted the new methods of assessing researchers, but that was very slow. So there was a lot of, of action, a lot of, of documents being put out, a, a lot of statements, manifestos, and etc. cetera. Uh, but the change was very slow, and there's a few reasons for that. So on the one hand, uh, there's the first mover disadvantage. So any institution who does the first move may risk uh, losing status or, or recognition internationally because they change their assessment methods and then their outputs are not the same. And then there's, there's always a risk there. There's also a risk of the researchers losing mobility opportunities because their profile is very different. So there was a bit of a, a fear in there. And it's also, it's a systemic change. It's something that does not just imply research institutions or uh, publishers or funders. It's something that's really multi-actor. So it requires the coordination of a lot of different stakeholders together. So um, in the past few years, uh, and I think this is a very, very positive change. So we've seen more international collaboration, more consortium that put together different stakeholders to uh, move these statements that we've built in the past 10 years and put them into action. So uh, you've mentioned the EU uh, reform for research assessment, the UNESCO. Uh, there's also the G7 that just started uh, another group as well, the, the Global Research Council. So we have a few of these uh, international initiatives that are really moving things forward. The one that I'm uh, most involved with at the moment is the um, EU reform and the agreement that is being put forward. So this is, they will release the agreement very soon. Uh, probably by the time that this podcast is out, it will be released already. And uh, their goal is to create a coalition of different stakeholders that help each other and support each other to change their research assessment. So it's really about creating mutual learning, creating support, because changing research assessment is very difficult. It's resource demanding. Uh, it, it requires a lot of effort and courage. So it's, it's putting these things together to help move the commitments that we've agreed on towards action. Dasapta, are those initiatives widely promoted in Indonesia? I don't think uh, DORA and Leiden Manifesto is known by general researcher in Indonesia. So I can give you an example. If I write a grant, the funders is, has already clearly write that the end product must be uh, papers in the uh, reputable journals, in a, in a prestige journal, right? So as a researcher, I write a proposal to comply to what funders request, right? And then it's been going on and on and on. So the focus is not the science, uh, but the, the end product, as I said before. Uh, while DORA and Leiden Manifesto uh, promoting something that, that it might be look strange 
from the public in Indonesia because uh, the statement is not based on journal, right? The, the assessment is not based on the journal where the, the science or the papers is published. It's not very common in our way of thinking in Indonesia. So I can say that Dora and Leiden Manifesto is not known in general uh, researcher ecosystem in Indonesia. Lizzie, do you have any additional points based on, on what we've just heard? Yeah, just a couple of observations on this. I mean, I think it's fantastic all the work that's going on in, in, in all of these spaces. I suppose I am just slightly nervous. We've had a lot of, kind of European action in this space, often driven by open science, um, and, and that is great. And I know the latest um, Towards Responsible Research Assessment Coalition is broader than um, the Europe. You know, they, they are inviting all actors. But I think I'm just slightly concerned that there is this sense that, again, it's driven by the this particular initiative um, and others like it are driven by the Global North again. Um, and that the Global South, I, I, I've heard the view um, that, you know, that they're, they feel as though they're just trying to catch up on the traditional measures and then the goalposts are being moved again by the global north you know ostensibly in the global south's favor but it's a bit you know i think these initiatives really genuinely do have to be international in focus and include all of the players and all of the cultures because they are so broad and wide-ranging and that's why I, I, I love the Global Research Council work because it really genuinely it does have a proper engagement from a very wide range of nations and cultures and approaches and, and it's difficult it's really difficult to kind of get agreement but I think that international agreement you know, beyond just one region um, is going to be really really important and, and as I say I know it's great that the European work is happening and know that they're looking to expand but I think there is this not invented here thing that we are all a little bit prone to you know well I, I didn't come up with that I wasn't involved in that design and we do actually have to kind of ensure that everybody is is included in those conversations the other concern that I have I suppose around uh, some of this work is that it is been, it's been driven by open science and the, the move towards open science, which is, is a good thing. We, we want open science and yes, research, poor research assessment is inhibiting the, the adoption of open research practices. We can't just improve research assessment in order to enable research, uh, open research practices. That leads to all sorts of additional problems. To my mind, you know, open research is a hygiene factor. We should all just be doing it anyway, like um, adhering to proper ethics systems and um, health and safety standards, you know, and, and just trying to kind of incentivize open science through um, well, moving away from journal impact factors and moving towards top factors, you know, transparency and openness factors in journals. You know, it's just kind of maintaining the status quo, really, instead of looking for more, looking for cited journals, we're looking for open journals, <laughs> instead of, you know, reward, rewarding citedness, we're trying to reward openness. And, I, and I, I think that could potentially be a little bit problematic if it's not kind of exposed. And so it's great having open research as a driver for more responsible um, research assessment practices, great, but we have to just look beyond that and think very carefully about the kind of long-term consequences of just trying to improve open research and engagement with open research through responsible research assessment because there are bigger issues at play here. Before I go any further, Dasapta, earlier you mentioned the issue of language bias. 
could you explain in more details this, this language barrier and how this may lead to Indonesian researchers being discriminated by current national research assessment policies for publishing their findings in any language other than English? So I would see this matter in in from two point of view, right? In the point of view of the author as knowledge to produce knowledge, knowledge right? Uh, as an author, uh, we are uh, we are pushed to write in English, which is uh, that is not our uh, first language. Um, so that will be strange if uh, for instance i have a research in flooding in an in a nearby village but the people that read the my paper uh, firsthand were is not the people that suffer the flood itself but maybe some peer reviewers that live in london and then the, the other one is from the point of view of readers. Right? So I did some informal uh, research throughout the years to my students, undergraduate to, to PhD students. Uh, I, I asked them what uh, keywords, what language that you use to type your keywords in uh, looking for literature, right? And surprisingly, they say English. <laughs> so, so this is also strange because the study area, their study area, are mostly located in Indonesia. Uh, local uh, researchers using Indonesian language, uh, we should find those papers, right, uh, written by Indonesian author uh, in Indonesian language. But they miss those papers because they only use keywords in English. <laughs> because... Uh, our university keep promoting to use uh, certain uh, databases, commercial databases that they buy uh, with a lot of money, right? So that's it, the, the, the problem with the language bias. This concludes the first part of this podcast on research assessment. You could find a transcript of our conversation and more information about our guests on our website. Please stay tuned and join us for the second and final part of this podcast, where we will discuss the tools and frameworks available to implement the changes to the current research assessment systems and the role of the various stakeholders involved.